Good morning, everyone. We're continuing in our series of messages in the Gospel of John. We're now into the second half of the Gospel, where I do think the theme of abiding in Jesus dominates. And uh, today I'd like to talk to you about two of the biggest things in human life, significance and belonging. Significance has to do with our impact on the world. If we don't feel like we make a difference to anyone around us, if the world would be completely unaffected if we were to disappear tomorrow, for most of us, this would be a devastating reality. We need to know that our lives have meaning, that they amount to something, that they matter. And we all need to belong. We all need to be loved and to love, and we need to be woven into some kind of a a sense of belonging where there is a, a corner of this world where we are at home, and we are where we are wanted and where we are meant to be. Well, Jesus talks about both of these things in the passage we're going to be looking at today. I've titled the message, Significance and belonging. And we're in John chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 21. Let's begin with verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me will also do the works which I am doing. And he will do greater than these because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus, in the passage we looked at last week, in the verses immediately before this, has been talking to his disciples about bringing them to the Father, about building a space for them in the house of the Father so that you can actually take up residence with God. And live your life with God. And Jesus has told them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And he's telling them, I'm taking you to the Father. And what does it look like then if we allow Jesus to bring us to dwell in the house of the Father, to take up residence in God? What does that look like? Well, I think that's kind of what he talks about in these verses. He prefaces this next sentence with truly, truly. Jesus uses that phrase a lot. It's, it's an idiom uh, that people, uh, Jews, used in the first century. Literally, it's the word amen, which is a, a word of affirmation. So be it, or I am in agreement with whatever it is that's being said. Uh, that's why oftentimes when we conclude a prayer, everybody around you says amen. It's their way of saying, I, I concur. I agree with your prayer lifted up to God. So, uh, Amen, amen, truly, truly. And, and the sense of the idiom is I'm telling you something that's very much true. And it isn't that Jesus sometimes lied to people and uh, had to make sure he told them occasionally when he was speaking the truth. I think it's simply that Jesus is trying to highlight that what I'm about to say is a big deal. Don't miss it. I'm about to share with you a very important bit of truth. Truly, truly, I say to you. The one who believes in me will also do the works which I am doing. 
Now, if you've been paying attention as we work our way through the Gospel of John, you realize that Jesus talked a lot about the works he was doing. And he didn't say, these are my works. He said, the works that I do are the works that the Father gave me to do. He said, the Son can do nothing except what the Father gives him to do. So when he says, if you believe in me, if you put your faith in me, you are also going to be doing the works that I am doing. He is saying that we are going to be doing the works of the Father just as he was. We are going to be instruments of God's in this world. And here's the astounding thing he says. And he will do greater than these because I am going to the Father. Now, we ponder this. I think people sometimes wonder what exactly did Jesus mean by us accomplishing greater works than he accomplished when he was here. I have yet to raise anybody from the dead. I have yet to command the wind and the waves to stop. I have yet to take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed a multitude of 5,000 plus. I suspect I could say the same thing of you. So in what sense are the works that Christ is doing through us greater than the ones that he did? Well, I... I think a mistaken way to try to read this is to assume that we're going to perform miracles that are somehow more spectacular than the miracles Jesus performed. In 2,000 years of Christian history, I don't think anybody has outshone Jesus in terms of miracles, in terms of signs and wonders. So I don't think that's what he was talking about. Now there is one sense in which the work of the Father has exceeded far what Jesus accomplished in his earthly ministry. And I think for this, uh, we need to think of what the work of the Father is all about. Why did the Father send the Son into the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that anyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. The Father sent the Son into the world not to do miracles, not to put on a show for us, not to impress us with all the spectacular things he could do. He sent the Son into the world to save the world. And the whole point of the miracles Jesus did was that he was providing the grounding for our faith so that what he is sharing with us in the coming of the Son is grounded, it's rooted not in fantasy, not in myth, not in invention of humans, but is grounded in the reality of human history. And Jesus did the things the gospel tell us he did. You know why I know that? Because the guys who wrote down this information for us, there were 12 apostles. All but one of them died because of what they wrote. Now, if they had made up these stories, if they had said Jesus did things he didn't do, all they had to do to avoid a torturous death was to recant and say, I'm sorry, I made it all up. Not a one of the 12 did that. And 11 of them died martyred, tortured horribly to death for their faith. 
And the only one that wasn't martyred ended up his days exiled on an island because of his faith. Any one of them. If it was a big made-up story, at least one of them would have broken, right? One of them would have said, I'm sorry, man, I'm not going to die for this. It's not even true. So God did these spectacular things through Jesus to root the gospel in true history. To make it something real and tangible to us today. But that wasn't the end goal. To just show up and say, ta-da, I'm God, look what I can do. The goal was that we would be drawn to faith so that we could be rescued from sin and death. And in that sense, Jesus did not accomplish hardly any of what he meant to accomplish in his time here on earth. He scarcely made it out of Israel. A little bit of time as an infant in Egypt, and he made it up to Caesarea Philippi, apparently, uh, during his public ministry. But that's about it. Where has the message of Christ reached today? There's not a continent on this earth that has not been uh, impacted by the gospel. So when Jesus says, you're going to do the work of the Father and you're going to exceed what I was able to do in my brief time here, he's talking about the extension of this across the globe. He's talking about the fact that this is not just for a little bit, uh, a little strip of land used to be called Canaan, uh, the land of the Israelites. It is for the whole world. And the Father has been doing his work through those who have believed in Jesus since Jesus rose from the dead. And today, the world over people know of Jesus. The works of the Father continue to progress to this day. And it's in the context of the works of the Father that he is accomplishing through us that Jesus says this, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Some people take these verses, put them on a refrigerator magnet, and treat them like this is Aladdin's lamp, right? You know, you just rub it three times, and boom, you've got a wish uh, fulfiller. Uh, poof, what do you want? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, now, some people try to read this to mean that, and try to insist that that's exactly what it means, but I haven't found anybody yet that this actually works that way for. Right? That anything I choose to dream up, I just ask in Jesus' name and poof, it's done. I'm sure you have experienced what I have of pleading with God for something and for the answer to be no. Right? So what is Jesus talking about here? I don't think it's a blank check. Whatever you care to dream up, I'll do it for you. No, he's saying, as you are allowing the Father to do his works through you, as you are impacting the world for eternity, as the Father wishes to do through you, I want you to be talking to me about that work. And I want you to understand that there is not a thing I cannot do. When you ask in my name, when you are directing your prayers to the Father in my name, 
I am going to operate on this earth in ways that only God can operate. And there's nothing we can ask that is beyond the realm of the doable for Jesus. I think that's the open-ended extent of what he means to tell us here. Whatever you ask, anything you ask. Sometimes we, we limit our work uh, to our own appraisal of our resources and capabilities. And I think Jesus is calling us to be involved in the work of the Father with a perspective that is not focused on us, but is focused on Jesus. And there's a whole lot I can't do. But there is nothing Jesus can't do. So as I'm participating in the works of the Father here on earth, and I'm talking in the name of Jesus with the Father about those works, there is absolutely nothing that's off the table. And when Jesus works in our lives, in this work of the Father, in response to our prayers, in His name, the Father is glorified. Why? Because it's the Father who sent the Son to save us. How many of you parents would send your child to a cross for somebody else? Any takers? That's what the Father did. He loved us so much. He was willing to tell the Son, the only way we can do this is the cross. And the Son said, yes, I will do it. And every time we tell people about Jesus, and every time we pray in His name, and we do the work of the Father, the Father who loved us enough to send the Son receives glory. And God works. And in that work is glorified. Because this is not something we're accomplishing. These changed hearts, these transformed lives, these utterly refocused and reshaped souls are none of our work. It's something only God does. Do you realize that because of Jesus, we can actually do things that will last forever. The old adage is you can't take it with you. That's not quite true. The works we do in the Father's name, the works that the Father accomplishes through us, we do take those with us. If I share the message of Christ with somebody who does not know him and he comes to know Christ because of that and his life is utterly transformed eternally, I get to take that person with me into eternity. You can take it with you because of Jesus. The works of the Father are eternal in scope and nature. You want to talk about significance in life? Can you think of anything anybody could offer you that has a greater significance than that? Jesus said, we will accomplish more in him than he ever accomplished while he was here on earth. How does this give our lives meaning, purpose, and significance? Let's keep reading in verse 15. 
if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, so that with you might be forever the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and will be in you. We're getting into some pretty uh, heavy theology about the nature of God. But before we talk about that, let's get this first sentence some, some attention. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. People love to talk about Jesus as the ultimate anti-establishment figure. There he was, standing up to all the religious leaders, all the hypocrites, the Pharisees, and all these stuffed shirt people in the temple, and uh, telling them they were getting it all wrong, and that they didn't care about the people, and they were uh, judging and condemning, and weren't doing the loving work of God. And we, we talk about Jesus often as, as this grand, receiving, welcoming figure, and sometimes we create the, the, the mistaken impression that Jesus demands nothing of us. That Jesus is just kind of here to, to be a cool, nice guy in our lives. But the fact is, Jesus consistently was issuing commands. Not suggestions. Commands. He asked his disciples in chapter 13, You call me teacher and Lord. Guess what? You're right. Because that's exactly what I am. He is not just buddy. He is Lord. And lords issue commands. They tell their servants, their slaves, what they need to do. Jesus has already issued some commands. In chapter 13, after he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I want you to do the same thing. As I have served you, you must serve one another. There's a command. He has just told them, I'm, giving you, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. And he repeats that commandment several times in these closing chapters of the Gospel of John. That's not a suggestion. Jesus isn't saying, you know, it would be really awesome if you do this. Give it a try and see how it goes. No, he says, do it. I command you to do this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's interesting that the word faith is also used in the New Testament in this sense. That faith, genuine faith, is demonstrated in obedience. In fact, Paul tells uh, the Romans that we are at work trying to bring about among all the nations the obedience of faith. John uh, his big word is love. The obedience of love. If you love Jesus, you're going to do what he said. Why? Because if you really get a glimpse of who Jesus is, and you focus your heart on him in love, and you find that he is truly beautiful and glorious, and good in every possible way anyone could ever evaluate or imagine. If you realize he is through and through no shadow of anything less than perfect good, 
then you know anything he tells you to do is for good. There's nothing uh, to hold back about, nothing to draw away from it and say, no, I don't want to do that. If you really love Jesus, you really get who he is, you're going to understand that every single thing he's asking of you is wonderfully good. And you're not just going to be reticent about it. You are going to be all on board for it. You want to do the things he has commanded you to do. Because it is good and it is life and it is everything you want to pursue in life. Too many times we want to claim to love Jesus but want nothing to do with his instructions. We don't want to do any of the stuff he's told us to do. And Jesus calls our bluff. If you love me, you're going to do what I said. So, but if we're in this connection, we have loved Jesus. We are keeping what he's commanded. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That word is such a weird word. It's hard to translate. Uh, different translations try to come at it different ways because there's not a single English word that quite captures. The word paraclete in, in Greek literally means the one who stands next to. And it has a legal sense as in you're in court and you are, somebody is there to defend you in court. Your defense attorney stands next to you and stands for you in representation of you. It has that sense but it's broader than that. It's not just a courtroom term. It's the idea of the guy who is by your side, who is on your side, who is in your corner, who is for you. Jesus says, if you love me, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send you. In other passages, Jesus talks about he and the Father sending us this advocate, this person to stand with us. And notice, he's not saying I'm going to send him sporadically. But the purpose is so that with you might be forever the spirit of truth. So this advocate Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit of God. When we love Jesus, when we adhere to what he has commanded us, uh, God is, gives us himself in spirit in response. And this isn't uh, like in the Old Testament days where sometimes the Spirit of God would fall on somebody and they would do something and then the Spirit of God would depart. No, that he might be with you forever. That God's Spirit would come and become a permanent resident in our hearts. Take up residence forever in us. He describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. And just a few verses earlier, he has said that he is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason Jesus can say the same thing about the Holy Spirit is that it is one God. There is one truth. And the reason there is such a thing as truth, even as a concept, in the reality we inhabit, is that God distinguishes between true and false. 
truth resides in the very nature of God. It's built into his own DNA, so to speak. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And Jesus will talk more about the spirit and how he leads us into truth and all these things. But uh, this is what Jesus is saying. He wants to give us, if we are loving him obediently, he wants to give us his spirit as an eternal gift. Now notice, this isn't going to happen for everybody. Some people don't even realize the spirit exists. He says about the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees nor knows him. Those of us who have come to Jesus and turned to him in faith, in love, and have surrendered to his lordship and have received the gift of the spirit of God, we are transformed by the giving the Spirit of God comes. I love this song by Margaret Becker. It's an old song, but soul tattoo. She describes God in her life as a soul tattoo. That's exactly what the Spirit of truth becomes to us. And those of us who have encountered Christ and been transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who came in and changed everything and has never left from that day forward, we know God, we see him, we walk with him. But the world around us, people who have not done this, who have not turned to Jesus in faith and have not received this gift, they are utterly clueless. They have no idea there is such a thing as the Spirit of God. They look around, they speculate, they make up what they think. But they have no clue because they cannot know him. The only way to know the Spirit of God is faith in Jesus. Is turning to Jesus to be brought the gift of the Spirit. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He uses both the present tense and the future. So I think when he says he abides with you, he's talking about his presence among them right now. I am with you right now. You know me just like you know the Father. You look at me, you look at the Father. You know me, you know the Father. You know me, you know the Spirit of truth. And I am abiding with you, but after the brief uh, hiatus between my death and resurrection uh, and uh, it's going to be about 50 days but come Pentecost this gift I'm talking about is going to be given and then he will be in you not just abiding with you like I am right now but this gift will be an internal reality it's the reward of obedient love Jesus said there's a simple way to know whether we love him. If we love him, we will do what he commanded us to do. Do you love Jesus? Let's finish verses 18 through 21. I will not abandon you as orphans. I am coming to you. Yet a little while and the world no longer sees me, but you see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Jesus knows that the things he's been telling the disciples have caused them great distress. I'm going. You guys can't come with me. In fact, you're all going to run away from me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. One of you guys is about to turn me in. You guys are going to be a mess. And I'm going somewhere and you guys cannot come with me. So they are distressed. What do you mean, Jesus? Are you abandoning us? We've left everything for you. We have no plan B. What do we do now? Jesus says, no. I'm not abandoning you like orphans kicked out on the street with nobody to care for them, nobody to vouch for them. I am not doing that with you. I am coming to you. And there are two ways in which Jesus means that. After the crucifixion, uh, on the third day, Jesus will rise and he will spend 40 days visiting with the disciples. But after that, 10 days after his ascension, on Pentecost... He will come to them again in the Holy Spirit. And that will be uh, to stay forever. So at no, in no sense is Jesus saying, I am leaving you destitute. You're on your own. Fend for yourself. Take care of yourself. No, he's saying, I've got you. And I'm going to take care of you forever. Just a bit, the world's no longer going to see me. And not just uh, that after the resurrection, Jesus uh, pretty much visited with disciples. He didn't just randomly appear to people anywhere, but actually spent time with his disciples in the 40 days after his resurrection. But beyond that, after his ascension, nobody has seen Jesus on earth. Not, Not in the flesh, that's not the way in which he's operating in the earth right now. Yet a little while, and the world no longer sees me, but you see me. Not just because he will visit with them in those 40 days, but when he comes to them in the Spirit, they will see him, they will perceive him, they will be aware of him every day of their lives. Because I live, you also will live. Remember Jesus said, I am the life. Jesus doesn't give life. Jesus doesn't cosmetically improve life. Jesus is life. There is no life without Jesus. So the fact that I am alive means you are alive. You will share in my resurrection glory and my resurrection life. Because by my spirit, I will bring that to bear in your own life now. Because I live, you also will live. And when that day comes, you're going to know that everything I've been telling you is absolutely true. I'm not some crazy raving lunatic who thinks he's God. I am God. And the only way you're going to know that is when I die on that cross and on the third day rise. And I come and I say, here... Put your finger in the wounds. Let's eat some fish together. I'm not a ghost. I am the resurrected 
Lord, watch me ascend to the Father. In that day, you will know that everything I've been telling you was absolutely true. You didn't put your trust in some unhinged madman. It's going to be proven to you beyond a shadow of a doubt to the point that you guys are all going to be willing to die tortured rather than give up that. You will know that I am in my Father. That if you've looked at me, you have looked at the Father. That to know me is to know the Father. That I and the Father are one. You will know that on that day. Not only you will know that I am in my Father, but you will realize that you are in me. And let's make this reciprocal. And I am in you. Jesus is saying, I'm not leaving you abandoned as orphans. I am making you my home, and I'm making myself your home. I'm going to abide in you. You are going to abide in me. And we uh, are going to share eternity. And this is your place of belonging. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Jesus reveals himself to people. Now, I've heard people talk about uh, God not revealing himself. I don't believe in God. I told God one day, if you're really God, make this pen float in midair. And he didn't do it, so therefore God does not exist. Now, why would God care to do something like that just because you demanded it of him? Why does God have to snap to attention just because we demand something of him? What does, what does God owe us? Not a thing. In fact, every single thing we have, we only have because he gave it to us. You didn't show up in this world because one day you decided, I'm going to be born. You didn't purchase or assemble your body. You didn't buy your soul and your mind. You didn't build them. Everything you have, God has given to you. The very breath of life is his gift to you. So if anybody owes anything to anyone, you owe everything to God. You want to know God? You're never going to find him through demands. You will be utterly blind to God if that's your approach. Because God's not interested in you continuing the path you're on. God sent the Son to rescue you from sin and death. And the only way to be rescued is to turn to Jesus as one turns to a Savior. Is to turn to Jesus as the one who can rescue you. And because of that you turn to him in love. And you obey what he says because you know he has come to redeem and rescue you. And you want that. And when you turn to Jesus in love. And in obedience 
to what he is at, up to, then we in, enter into the love of God. Then Jesus reveals himself to us. Then Jesus gives us the gift of the spirit of truth who has come to stay <coughs> forever. <coughs> Sorry about that. <coughs> I talked about <coughs> significance <coughs> in life. I also talked about belonging. <coughs> Jesus has come not only to give us significant work in which to participate. <clears throat> he has come to center our lives in him so that we can abide in him and he in us so that he can reveal himself to us by his glorious Holy Spirit of truth. And we can be in him and he can be in us. And we can finally find our place of belonging. I believe it was Augustine who said that famous thing about our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Christ. I may have misquoted. Don't, don't get upset with me. I'm, church history is not my strongest area. But I, I, that thought... <clears throat> that we really don't have the place of belonging we need until we have come to Jesus. I have a final question. Jesus is going to reveal himself to anyone who loves him back, trusting him enough to do what he commands. He will be in us, and we will be in him. Have you found your sense of belonging in Jesus? Jesus gives us more than just forgiveness of sins. He restores significance to our lives by calling us to become instruments through which God, God the Father, is loving the world and working to redeem it. When this is the focus of our lives, nothing is impossible. God works in miraculous ways through us that bring glory to the Father who is at work rescuing the world. Our lives can touch eternity. We can leave an indelible mark on the cosmos. If we will love Jesus, we must obey what he commanded us to do. Make of his instructions the guiding force of our lives. In response, Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to vouch for us eternally, to stand by our side, to act in our defense. Thank you. Speaking for us as we live our lives. Because of Jesus, we can love God and we can be loved by him. I don't know where you are this morning when it comes to Jesus. You may know him 
If you do, probably a lot of what I've said to you this morning makes perfect sense. You get it. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the spirit of truth. Some of you here might have no idea what I'm talking about and might think that's some big grand delusion or make-believe. I want to invite you to give it a try. What have you got to lose? To turn to Jesus and say, you know what, if you're really there, I want to turn to you and I'm, I'm willing to commit myself to your lordship. You are the one who saves. You are the one who knows. I will follow what you say. I will go where you lead me. I will obey what you command and you rescue me and give me eternity and allow me to impact eternity in, in, in exchange. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do that today. And if you don't know how to do that, in a moment, we're going to have some people. In fact, the people who are going to be receiving, would you go ahead and come on up? Let's all stand. While we have this song playing, come forward. Take the hand of one of the people that's here on either side. And just share with them, I want to know Jesus. And I want him to do all that stuff that we've been talking about today in my life. And let them pray with you and help you ask Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you already know Jesus and you've been reminded today that your heart is not where it should be. In whatever way, whatever area, maybe your love has not been demonstrated in obedience. Maybe uh, you have not surrendered your life to the work of the Father. You've been too busy doing something else. And you need to make that right. Come and say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry. Restore to me eternal significance in my life. If that's you this morning, come and share and have the, uh, let these people who are here pray with you. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today about something. Whatever it is God lays on your heart, this is your time to come forward and pray with somebody about it. Let's come while we, pray, while we sing.